Hello, you're listening to CJLO 1690 AM. Uh, we're back here with you for another weekly news roundup. I'm joined on the program today by our LJI journalist in residence, Katie Brady. It's Friday. Yeah, it is certainly Friday. It's Friday. We're back at nine. Uh, so we are going to start off our program with uh, a little pack you assembled about the Polytechnic Memorial Services that have been going on around the city. Yep. There was an event yesterday where there was... Um, uh, Wednesday. Wednesday. I think. It's been a long week. Wednesday, December 6th. All right. So, well, let's get into that and listen to that pack right away. And uh, we'll be right back with you in a moment. Fourteen beams of light shot up into Montreal's cold night sky at 5.10 p.m. this Wednesday, as they have on this day for many years. Each one to honor and commemorate one of the 14 young women who were killed at École Polytechnique on December 6, 1989. Current Polytechnique students read each victim's name to a crowd gathered inside Chalet Montréal for the vigil at the time shots rang out that day, 34 years ago. Prime Minister Trudeau and Premier Legault were in attendance, flanked by local politicians, school administrators, students, and family. They shared similar sentiments and statements to reporters and took no questions. Once again, 6th of December. Weeping together, the loss of 14 young women who were killed just because they were women. And we can reflect, and we have a responsibility to reflect that there has been some progress over the past 34 years, but not enough. Uh, equality between men and women is not negotiable, and we have all of us uh, uh, to make sure that uh, we help. Beatrice Sear a master's in energy engineering student at Polytechnic, told CGLO Wednesday morning that it's an emotional day for students. I think today is all about those girls that uh, we have to remember, and uh, we have to remember each of their names. Maud Cohen, president of Ecole Polytechnique, said that commemorating the tragedy is about honoring the victims, as well as creating a legacy of opportunities for women in engineering. We made a lot of work in schools, making sure that we initiate young ladies to science, make sure that if they want to choose a path, they know how to choose it. Talk about engineering also, which wasn't talked about too much to young ladies when I, when I was younger. Um, but it's also about uh, creating a path for those that could be leaders. And all this work has really paid off at Ecole Polytechnic. Now we're uh, 32% last year that graduated at the bachelor level. In 1989, it was less than 17%. Though most students, like Beatrice Sear, weren't born in 1989 and have no first-hand memories of the tragedy, the impact of the massacre and progress made for women in science and technology since then is deeply felt by them. Well, I think that every girl in Polytechnic studies, like, they have their place. Uh, we don't think about it every day. We, we feel so comfortable here. We feel so welcome. But this week, 
we um, we realize how a chance it is to be here and to study uh, something we're passionate about. The Greater Polytechnic Community fundraise each year throughout what's known as White Rose Week at the start of each December. Proceeds go to Folie Technique, the school's science outreach camp, which organizes an all-girls science camp for young children from disadvantaged communities. Julien Fradet Vaillancourt is the project coordinator at Foley Technique. He says these camps help kids experience and explore the scientific community. Do uh, free activities in uh, school around Montreal for the, the rest of the years. So we try, in our mission to try making science more accessible, we focus also on uh, destigmatizing uh, the engineering world and science world for women. Beatrice Sear wants other young women to know that there's a place for them in engineering. We need more girls, we need more women in engineering. We need more role model to show us that uh, it is a field where we can, um, we can do so much. And us girls, we are good at it and we need more of them here at Polytechnique and everywhere in engineering. In Canada, December 6th is the National Day of Remembrance and Action on Violence Against Women. It falls during the international campaign, 16 Days of Activism Against Gender-Based Violence, which runs until December 10th. So the Polytechnic Massacre happened 34 years ago. Uh, during it, 14 women were killed. The women were Barbara kluznik Widejewitz, Genevieve Bergeron, Ellen Colgan, Nathalie Croutot, Barbara Dagano, Amory Edward, Maude Havernick, Maurice Lagarnière, Maurice Leclerc, Anne-Marie Lemay, Sonia Pelletier, Michelle Richard, Annie Saint-Arnaud, and Annie Turcotte. Um, yeah, commemorating, uh, and as you mentioned at the end of the pack, it's December 6th is one of the events that has emerged out of the horrific events as uh, a you know a commitment to remembering uh and you know fighting against gender-based violence mm -hmm. so yeah, everyone i spoke to at the school um the president who we heard from there mode cohen um yeah everyone was very emotional but um yeah they see they look forward on this day too is really what i got out of the community at Polytechnique. Um, they're really proud. Um, Beatrice, who we spoke to, uh, you could tell, and I mean, she she wasn't born when this happened, but um, she says, you know, she feels comfortable at the school, and um, she's excited to be a woman in engineering, and um, yeah, you can just, you can just feel how passionate they all are about it, and um, um, that's what I wanted to focus on with this piece, is um, the legacy and the strides that Polytechnique has made um, and emphasize also that there's programs there for uh, underprivileged girls, science camps. Um, they're really trying to break down barriers. Um, so it, 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 was, it, it was a heavy but moving day, you know? And the, um, I'd never been at the top of the mountain when, I, when the lights went off before I've seen them from below. Um, it was, I think they've been doing that for 10 years now. Um, it's an installation by uh, Moment Factory, uh, a Montreal creative firm. Um, 
really beautiful. Um, it was pretty, uh, pretty crowded in that room. Um, somber at the ceremony for sure, but in speaking to people, um, yeah, there's, there's, uh, some positivity there. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, um, it's, uh, you know, always good to know that there is, um, people who are in this world, you know, who, despite tragedy, move on and, you know. Mm. And I think what's really striking to me, too, is um, uh, the commemorations of the Polytechnic Massacre. I mean, it, it's global. It's uh, a global community that mourns and remembers this. And um, if you speak to anyone, uh, especially Montrealers who were here at the time, um, it was before uh, there were a lot of mass shootings, which we have now, unfortunately, and especially in the States. I was talking to my aunt about uh, she was going to Dawson at the time, and uh, uh, she just describes not, not getting it, like, you know, never hearing of such a thing, and it just not making any sense, you know. Yeah, I was reading the other day that it had, the uh, shooting had predated a lot of the gun mm -hmm. laws that we now mm -hmm. have in Canada. Yeah, that you know the the, yep. the gun yeah. was purchased. Some were passed because of this. Um, actually, Brian Sweeney was at the at the chalet, um, the at the light ceremony as well. He's the um, I believe the father of an Ontario uh, woman who died by gun violence, gender-based violence, and. Uh, uh, he's he's calling for uh, stricter gun laws as well. He was um, talking to lots of media at the event. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really it, this subject, this event, these tributes, um, the impact of it, it, it's really widespread. It's This isn't just a Montreal thing. It's, uh, Montreal's got a global community behind it when it comes to uh, polytechnic tributes and um, try to make change because of it. You're listening to CJLO, 1690 AM. This is your weekly news roundup. Top of the hour, we talked a little bit the, about polytechnic and the uh, memorial services that are going on around the city, specifically commemorating uh, and, you know, fighting against gender-based uh, gender violence. Um, and now we're going to talk about lease transfers. So, um, it's, uh, big news recently because the window for the, uh, the governmental session is closing mm -hmm. and that means, uh, the CAC is trying to, ro uh, wrap up a couple projects that has ongoing. Mm, yeah. The, uh, the Monday or today date was supposed to be the closing of the sessions. Uh, the la you know, all the news in the last couple of weeks is really leading up to that. Um, but they are going to be going an extra few days next week to go over the health bill more. But back to housing. The main issue with Bill 31 that uh, caused a big protest to be organized in Park X. There were a bunch across Quebec actually um, organized by uh housing rights groups tenants rights groups um specifically um talking about lease transfers but they're also uh making some pretty hefty demands they'd like the whole bill 31 
uh, scrapped. Um, they want um, the housing minister, Minister Duroso, uh, to lose her spot. Uh, a lot of controversy there. She um, caught some heat this week from the ethics commissioner. Um, yeah, it's uh, renters. I mean, it's kind of a, an evergreen Montreal news story, right? Housing. But uh, this is pretty hefty. I mean, it, I moved here years ago, and the lease transfer thing is, you know, I've had a lease transferred to me. I've transferred leases. It's um, it's uh, really part of uh, how the rental market goes here, I guess. And, uh, yeah, uh, we'll take a listen. <laughs> yeah. We'll be back with you in a second, but here is that pack. Tenants and housing advocates across Quebec are calling for a halt to Bill 31, the CAC's bill on housing. For renters in Montreal, the bill threatens to ban the practice of lease transfers, among other changes. Kristen Goodall, an NDG resident who got her apartment via a lease transfer in 2020, also co-founded a lease swapping group on Facebook. She told CJLO that lease transfers are an important part of the Montreal housing market. And I definitely think a lot of those groups are very um, queer-based also. Um, you know, these transfers are a great way to fight discrimination because you present the landlord with one candidate and they have to be very specific about why they're refusing them versus when a landlord is looking for someone, they can just, like, not call someone back if they don't like them, you know? Like, it's a lot harder to prove discrimination when there's, you know, tens of people looking at one apartment versus when you present the landlord with one person. Yaya Bauman is a member of Front de Lutte pour un immobilier populaire. The housing rights group co-organized protests across the province this Saturday and continue to make several demands of the government to solve the housing crisis. Prior to the protest, but there were also our demands that led to the, the protest was uh, um, removal of Francelle and Zuranso as um, from her from her position as housing minister for many reasons, uh, namely Bill 31, but also because it's been proven times uh, and times that she um, is in conflict of interest. She she comes from um, she's a real estate agent. Um, her her prior um, her prior work was a real estate agent. Uh, she's always saying that it wasn't residential, but it was commercial. But uh, anyway, this shows a total conflict of interest since um, we can believe that after uh, her time as housing minister, she'll go back to um, her prior um, prior job and then she'll obviously be advantaged by the, 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 the law she just passed. Um, so this is what we were asking for. We're also asking for a rent freeze um, to try to keep rent as low as possible because right now uh, what is considered affordable is something like a four and a half at uh, $1,500, which is totally not uh, affordable. So we're asking for a rent freeze uh, and also for the socialization of every new uh, construction. So every new unit that will be um, on their rental housing market to be socialized. As well as these transferred, debates have swirled around other proposed elements of the bill. 
The CAC has characterized Bill 31 as a protection against rent evictions because under the bill, landlords would have to pay tenants up to a year's rent if evicted. Opposition critic for Housing and Municipal Affairs Virginie Dufour also proposed an amendment to allow landlords to ask for a deposit only in the case of tenants with pets. But Bauman thinks such measures only open the door to further violations of tenant rights by landlords. We can also imagine that uh, a tenant, a single mom with three kids, uh, would be asked for a security deposit um, when renting a new apartment if such a door would be open and then we could ask for yeah many more reasons to ask this kind of uh, security deposit. Dufour told CJLO that the Liberal Party continues to consult with housing advocates and is also concerned by the CAC's handling of the housing crisis and Bill 31. And the problems that the CAC uh, did not acknowledge the, the housing crisis for like the first mandate, like from 2018 to 2022, it was like a banned word. Housing crisis, it didn't exist. And so, of course, you know, they, nothing happened <laughs> during all that time. And now the Ministry of Housing arrived and she has like all this mess, I would say, to uh, to uh, resolve, but she doesn't have the tools. In particular, Dufour is concerned about an article of the bill which would allow new rental housing to be created without abiding by existing city planning bylaws in towns across Quebec. Bauman said the future of Quebec's housing market is in danger under CAC leadership. The full frontal attack by Francelaine Zuranso uh, and uh, her total disregard for tenants and her bill that is mostly advantageous for landlords and um, real estate owners. For Kristen Goodall and her community of lease swappers and NDG, she said she knows many people who have been renovated in the past and there's a real uncertainty about the livability of Montreal for them under this bill. And if that were to happen again, we're very scared about where we would be able to live or where we would have to leave. And it's not just about leaving an apartment you really like, it's about leaving a neighborhood and leaving a community. This week, Premier Legault suggested that he may be willing to walk back some aspects of the bill, but has otherwise held firm on the lease transfer ban. CJLO reached out to Minister Duranceau's office for comment, but at the time of this broadcast, had not yet heard back. So, Bill 31, it's looking it's like it's going to, if it goes through, it will fundamentally change the shape of uh, the rental market here in Montreal. Yep. And it's um, there are elements in it that um, the CAC have uh, you know like there's there's a an article that says that um, if Reno evicted or if someone's evicted for the I forget the the word for it but when they move a family member in um, it's kind of been um, touted as like a protection that it's like a punishment and it's legal to like Reno evict and they'll have to give a tenant up to a year's rent uh, in uh, compensation. Um, but uh, the housing advocates I spoke to say that, you know, that just means there's a price to booting people out. It's not just about money, you know? So uh, yeah, it, there's different ways to look at it for sure. Uh, people feel very strongly about it. Uh, uh, the reporting, um, it, it was very easy to find people up uh, wanting to speak about this bill. Um, obviously, the Quebec Landlords Association are saying, again, with the clauses that would have landlords pay tenants money, they're saying those are a good thing. Um, all the opposition parties, 
um, are against the lease transfer clause specifically. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. The other interesting part um, that the opposition critic on housing I spoke to mentioned is um, an article that would mean, again, there's kind of like a, a positive way to look at this article if you sell it that way, that new housing, new rental housing could be built um, not according to bylaws of certain municipalities. So um, it, it, it sounds like a good thing. You know, we can build a 10-story apartment building, but if this small town has rules about, you know, how high a building can be and stuff. So there's a, there's a, a lot of changes, a lot of changes. Um, and um, like the health reform bill too, it's still being picked apart. And today was the last day of the session, kind of. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I, yeah, it just from everything I know about housing and uh, what little protections tenants have, it seems like this bill is challenging mm -hmm. all yeah. of those. Montreal used to be the uh, renter's paradise. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're both from Toronto. <laughs> Montre uh, Montreal used to be the, oh my God, this place is huge and it's cheap, you know? <laughs> yeah, I um yeah, Not so much now. Yeah, it's turning into, and like everywhere else in the country, every other major city mm -hmm. doesn't have these protections, and because of it, has huge inflation in the rental market. Mm -hmm. Like uh, Vancouver, like like if you want to live in Vancouver, Jeez. like get ready to drop two grand or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really bad. Uh, it's it's a it's really a crisis and and this is an issue that sort of permeates into every other social system and uh and issue we have in this country you know yes yeah. because at the end of the day i guess we all need a place to mm -hmm. um you know call home i yeah. guess yep yep uh yeah everything almost always just boils down to uh affordability these days doesn't it yeah yeah <laughs> it's a heavy news cycle before the holidays yeah, yeah. Uh, especially in quebec <laughs> maybe we'll work on some uh more heartwarming stories for the uh the, in the next little bit but uh the community news bulletin has some good stuff there is a lot of good holiday stuff coming up and it's hanukkah <laughs> yeah holidays we're getting going we'll be cheery <laughs> but before we get cheery we need to talk about the strike very true uh so outside the window currently we are hearing uh some air horns go off yeah. as i was in the bus coming in today we did they did the little honk exchange uh with uh, a picket line that's right beside the school um and so yeah the front come on is back on strike, seven-day strike. Um, yep, now uh, this morning till Thursday. Uh, yet yeah, there's a few union leaders speaking across the city uh, this morning as well. Um, so now, it's, now we're back on simultaneous strikes today. We've got the FAE still on strike. Front Commune uh, rejected an offer from the province to settle things. But uh, anyway, I have a bit more. We all know it's a few weeks in. We know the general gist of the strikes. 
But I spoke to some moms who, I mean, they're hard for everyone, but I spoke to some moms um, uh, in the West End of Montreal who have kids with special needs, and they're finding it especially hard. And, uh, yeah, they're, they have some, some things to say. Uh, they're some of the most affected, you know, this... It's almost like it reminds me of the pandemic, you know, same, not the same, uh, <laughs> same boat, same storm, but different boats. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Let's hear it. All right. Nearly one sixteenth of this populate of this province's population is on a rotating strike currently, currently due to unfair working conditions. And meanwhile, we're spending... A total of $14 million Parents of special needs kids in Montreal aren't mincing words about Quebec's handling of the ongoing public sector strikes. This Friday, December 8th, marked the 12th school day of the FAE Teaching Union's unlimited strike. And while three calendar weeks off of school with no end in sight would be hard for many families to grapple with, some special needs parents in Montreal are feeling abandoned and exhausted. They say the CAC government has failed to protect the education and health sectors, the people who staff them, and the people who need them. Callie Walsh runs a Facebook group for parents of special needs and neurodivergent kids in NDG and the surrounding areas. Her special needs youngster has been off school for weeks due to the strikes. But it's a chronic problem. Um, you know, that's one of the main reasons that groups like this um, exist is that the system that, uh, that exists is failing special needs kids. Um, you know, we keep being told that supports are there, but they're not there when we need um, and they're insufficient. You know, the, the people that do provide these services, they work so hard and they're so skilled at what they do and they're so caring and um, they're understaffed, they're underfunded, they're tired, <laughs> but they do everything they can to support us. And so it's really frustrating to see them not being paid fairly. Walsh explained to CJLO that special needs families can't lean on babysitters and day camps like other families might. You know, all kids need stability and predictability and attention to thrive. Um, and with schools closed, they aren't getting that. And special needs kids need that even more than, um, you know, neurotypical or typically developing kids. Um, they don't understand for the most part why their schools have been taken away from them. They can't express what they're feeling adequately. And so it comes out in their behavior. She said they struggle without the regular support and expertise of special educators, a network which is strained at the best of times. For other moms like Walsh, the rolling and sometimes simultaneous healthcare strikes are intensifying the stress of school closures. St. Henry mom Olivia Pipe told CJLO that the FIQ health strikes also impact her and her special needs child. She sees the current situation in the public sector as just one element of a failure by the premier and his party over several recent years. You know, as a parent and who's not only affected by these strikes, but as a patient in the public system, as someone who worked for a Canadian, like an English university, um, we're seeing how these, what he's doing is affecting our public system that we pay tax for. We pay the highest tax in Canada for it. She's furious at the CAC and said leaving the province isn't out of the question for her. When a government is working so clearly against the public's interests, we have to ask ourselves 
number one, when is a government uh, completely null and void, meaning we have completely lost confidence in Legault? Where do we go from here? And two, at what point um, do we reconcile with the fact that he's completely collapsed our public healthcare and education systems. The Front Commune Alliance, representing over 400,000 public sector workers, rejected an offer from Quebec this week. They kicked off another strike action Friday morning, which is planned to last until Thursday, December 6th. Meanwhile, the FIQ, Nurses and Health Staff Union, plans to strike again from Monday, December 11th to Friday, December 15th, after also rejecting the offer. The FAE Union of 65,000 education workers, who are not part of the Front Commune, released a statement this Wednesday saying they intend to submit a counteroffer to the province. For now, these parents remain unsure and unhappy about the possibility of school closures running into the holiday break. So, um, yeah, impending, uh, it's a real, very real possibility now. Yeah, with, uh, out for December. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, the FAE is going to submit a counteroffer, although obviously that's not all schools. It's certain French schools. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm i trying to think. I don't think my school as a kid was ever on strike for that long. It was, it, it, it's, it's wild. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, uh, uh, when I was in my undergrad, I, um, I, uh, had the professors went on strike for three weeks and that was uh, uh, a mess for the students and we like didn't require babysitting at the time or anything like yes. that yes. so yeah. I can only imagine with younger kids yeah younger kids younger kids who need um, special educators too especially um, I mean like some of these moms were saying um, even even if the strike's ongoing, they, you know, uh, a mom we spoke to last week as well, she was saying, you know, how is there nothing in place for this, though? Like, these kids are just left, you know? The, uh, and especially for kids with special needs, they need, um, they need routine, um, and they don't understand it as well, like Olivia said. Um, and uh, uh, to think that um, parents like the ones we just heard from have lost like total faith in the province. And it's interesting. It's like a theme with all my interviews in the last few weeks, whatever the issue, whatever the bill, whatever the thing the government's doing or trying to get done before today, everyone I talked to always mentioned something else. If that makes sense, they, they link a lot of these issues and, they see them all as related, and especially when, obviously, uh, I'm an Anglo reporter reporting in English, so I am naturally going to find more English speakers. But uh, most of the parents I've spoken to are, they speak English at home, and their kids go to French school, and frankly, they're they're pissed. You know, it's it's almost like they're saying, you know, we're we're doing we're we love Quebec, we're doing what. Uh, they want us to do um, you know they're putting all these rules in um, uh, and then just leaving kids you know all of a sudden uh, that's it and uh, yeah 
it's uh it's kind of it's it's starting to get pretty sad to see i feel the energy in the strikes when i see picketers now is uh yeah it's it's a it's a different level now yeah (laughs) it's the third calendar week now (laughs) yeah yeah it's uh it's just yeah it is your your reporting over the last couple of weeks has really painted a picture of Mon- uh, like a Montreal um, rapidly changing because of Legault government's push policy push in this last month, mm-hmm. and uh, um, this I guess it all comes back to like you know affordability, access to services, and. Mm-hmm like healthcare access to housing and it's just all seems to be shifting and up to the up in the air a bit yeah my um my interview subjects are really uh suggesting this like well i think explicitly olivia there said it you know it's it's a consolidation of power and we saw that in with the health bill as well um the uh dr fuchs the um, professor at McGill Medicine, who was at the Health Bill Town Hall, said it so well when he said uh, the premier is trying to treat all these reforms like they're simply, um, you know, HR exercises. You know, <laughs> it's, it's they're very bureaucracy centered and less about the users, the citizens, the services they provide and the quality of life they uh they support for Quebecers. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's it's all very uh I don't know. It's um you can see you can see the uh the emphasis on like uh, I don't I don't want to say the word technocratic uh, like view of a lot of these systems. Yeah. Um but that's kind of what it appears to be yeah. on the on a surface level, looking in from the outside. Yeah, yeah. Well, with the health bill, it's literally like we're making a crown corporation that controls it all. Uh, yeah, it's. Um, I mean, I can't stop talking about health. I guess this is my theme now. <laughs> this is what's calling me in my next couple of weeks of reporting. I can feel it. Um, the hospitals are so overcrowded now. Um, kids' hospitals as well. The COVID's flying around, respiratory viruses. Surgeries are getting postponed. Again, like so many of these things feel like, you know, 2020 things. Yeah. But they're just um, the CACs Quebec things. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're, um, yeah they feel like they are legitimate crisis mm-hmm. crises crisisy crises crises <laughs> uh but uh they feel like crises that have emerged out of not you know um a, a spreading sickness well in some cases it's because of a spreading sickness but because of you know a policy direction that the mm-hmm. the the cac is taking Maybe this is not a cri- these aren't crises in their view mm-hmm. of the world, but um, the word that springs to mind with um, all of the legislation they've been working on is like it's ballsy. <laughs> They're ballsy moves, yeah. And I mean, I uh, I'm not a sophisticated political analyst, but 
um, a lot of people have suggested, you know, this is like, what are they trying to kind of create a legacy here? Like put their serious stamp and brand on how Quebec kind of operates. And yeah. we're only uh, a year into this one, three years till the next election. Uh, it's 2025. So, well, oh, it's going to be 2024 okay. in a couple of weeks. So okay. yeah. uh, we're getting there. <laughs> yeah. It's um and um, uh I guess we should mention that um, uh because of over the last couple of weeks this you know policy sort of acceleration by the CAC has really caused their poll numbers to mm-hmm. dip, uh, yeah. especially because of their like reluctance to nego- uh well their inability to get deals done with the unions. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are very upset with mm-hmm. them, and it's not just. <laughs> Like Olivia said, it, like it, it really seems um, it's intentional. You know, these aren't just like misguided things. They're, um, uh, yeah, they're all they're all very linked to each other. <laughs> very ballsy. Uh, yeah, I think they're. I mean, PQ would win if there was a vote today. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm curious to see about the polls because. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I just, I, I want to see where this goes. Quebec is so interesting to me. The way it, it is operates. an, it is the most interesting, well, it, I would argue it's the most interesting province by far. Probably, Like, yeah. things, uh, I, it's entirely unique on this continent for, in so many ways. Yeah, yeah. Including, like, like, legal structures unique mm-hmm. uh just everything mm-hmm. it's just got to be a little different and mm-hmm. i think that makes it i don't know it's um uh it's uh a l- it's got a little bit of that wild west spirit sometimes yeah. because of uh its uniqueness <laughs> yeah yeah and i think people are really upset too it's not just it's not just that the deal hasn't been done it's it's that they seem to kind of see through the strategy of the government. You know, Legault said some things, I think, last Friday um, that, you know, basically amounted to, like, can you go back to work for the kids? Uh, and and parents called that out right away. They were like, don't... They called it emotional blackmail. They were not having it. They can see the strategy. <laughs> so they don't like the... Uh, yeah. And, and so he'll do something like that, and then he'll just kind of go back and be like... Oops. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sorry. <laughs> well, what's interesting? I will try to do better. <laughs> what is interesting about this is that, as far as I can see, looking in from the outside, this is the first like strike I've seen where the public de- opinion is definitively with the strikers, and it's remaining there. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that when I was growing up in Toronto, for example, the second the transit workers would go on strike, pu- uh. The and the second there was no bus service, like mm-hmm. you or know, or the garbage strike. That's what I remember more from my childhood. The garbage strike. Yes, <laughs> the garbage strike. Oh, those hot garbage strikey days. Yeah, but yeah. uh, yeah, in that context as well, like a lot of the public opinion was a lot more varied mm-hmm. around yeah. like support for the strikers yeah. versus um support for you mm-hmm. know like the government doing back yep. to work legislation yeah legislation yeah 
here the the context is very mm-hmm. much so different where and it's even like even people who are really struggling because of the strike they don't everyone i've spoken to anyway they don't you know they're they're pro teacher pro nurse <laughs> yeah um they just they just want the government to you know hold up their end stop in in their in a lot of people's eyes like eroding <laughs> eroding the public st- sector yeah uh yeah i think um yeah part of that is also like people i think people are starting to understand like how much these public facing public sector jobs have changed over the course of the pandemic mm-hmm. and like become so much more intense yeah yeah because you yep. know teachers every single teacher uh back when i was doing a bit of education reporting every single teacher i talked to was like the pandemic meant everybody it, every every kid in school is uh a little bit behind except for like probably the very youngest mm-hmm. right now yeah because uh they had to do work um you know school from home for a little bit yep yep yeah and uh yeah i mean the language thing too keeping up like if you're a young kid you need that you really need that uh constant yeah 